Well, let's look tonight, if we could, in First Peter 5. I want to share my heart about the need for humility in, in our life. The ever-constant need of our exemplifying and having real humility. Peter says this here in the fifth chapter. When he says this, you younger, verse, verse 5, you that are younger, be subject to your elders. And I don't think he has in mind elders of the church here, but rather those who are older. Those who are younger ought to always have an attitude, a desire, an open ear, an open eye, an open heart, a teachable spirit toward any believers that are older than them. That's who you're going to learn from. When you're younger, you accelerate and you're advanced in ignorance. And we think we're so wise when we're younger. And so Peter admonishes those who are younger, really have a heart of submission to those who are older, to the elders. And all of you, he says... Clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on like a garment. Wear it. Let this be what adorns your life, he says. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but He gives, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come in the name of Your Son, thanking You for Your Word, just confessing and acknowledging that only as You speak to us will we hear anything worthwhile. Lord, I confess to You my, my inability, my utter um, weakness, my insufficiency, my nothingness apart from You. So would You, Lord, in Your kindness, have mercy on us tonight and give us something that will benefit us? Speak to us. For the glory of Your Son, in His name we pray. Amen. The story goes, I don't... I don't know if it was accurately true. I don't remember ever reading him say it, but the story goes that one time C.H. Spurgeon was preaching. He preached a sermon, and a lady met him down at the floor and said, Brother Spurgeon, let me be the first to tell you what a wonderful sermon that was. To which Spurgeon was said to have replied, well, I'm sorry you're the second person. The devil already whispered it to me before I got out of the pulpit. Now, if he said that, he probably wasn't joking. Pride is ever a danger, isn't it? Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord or what you know or who you know or what you've done. Pride is always a danger and humility is always a need. Peter here tells us that it's the proper clothing we're to wear. 
In fact, it's the only clothing for a Christian at all. You can't even be a, become a true Christian without experiencing humility. Right? I mean, that's just a reality. How important is it for us to take this admonition seriously? Well, it's all when you read the New Testament, it's all over the place. The constant admonition to humble ourselves, to have this attitude in us, to clothe ourselves, put on humility, and to walk in it. How important is it? Well, God Himself is a humble person. That's a striking thought. And the Lord Jesus was and is the most humble uh, man that ever existed from all eternity. In fact, we know, don't we, that it, humility, our experiencing humility in redemption, if, if humility wasn't in... Um, well, let me put it this way. Redemption and salvation would never even happen without humility. Because Paul tells the Philippians that the Lord Jesus humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we wouldn't be here tonight if humility wasn't a great essential reality. He told the Ephesians, remember, He told them that it's the very first mark of walking in this in a worthy way in this calling we have as believers. He told the Philippians, didn't He, to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but to count others more important than ourselves. What a test that is. All of us would gravitate to seeing ourselves as a center of every conversation, the most important one in the group or in the in the building, and would like to have all eyes and attention on us. But God calls us to count others as more important than ourselves. What an amazing reality that is that we're told to do. To be clothed with humility. And so important, Paul says in Colossians 3, that... He says it here, like Peter says it here, that we are to wear it. We're to have it on. Now, that is the picture of clothing. How important is, is that? That this is what is to decorate our lives. Not our knowledge. Not our experience. Not our giftedness. Not our past experience or our, our spiritual gifts. But humility is what is to be upon us. And he says in Ephesians that it's the very first mark, he says, with all gentleness and humility and meekness. What an amazing reality that is. And there in Philippians, when Paul is wanting to make this point, he talks about the Lord Jesus emptying Himself and laying aside His rights as God and... And though he was in the form of God, he didn't account his equality with God something to be held on to. But he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. Literally, the idea is that he took upon himself the attitude that he would treat himself as if he were nothing. What 
an astounding reality that is. Now, it's this, it's this kind of attitude that's to mark us. For every Christian, for humility to be seen in us and heard from us and to be observed in our words, our actions, our attitudes, our behavior, our reactions, for the grace and fragrance of humility to really flow from our lives. You know, I was thinking about this and I thought, we, we moved a couple of months ago, and at the old house where we lived, there's a rose bush that blooms every spring. Beautiful, big, uh, soft color red roses. It doesn't produce a lot of them. About one or two would, would come out. But I was over there after we were move, moving, and there was a big one on there. It was just in full bloom, so I tore it off and took it home to Linda. And it smelled so fragrant. It was so wonderful. And, and the thought just began to hit me as you see humility. What a beautiful fragrance that puts off from a life. Now, but when you're driving down the road and you see a little black and white thing in the middle of the road and suddenly this aroma fills the car. We had a lady in our church in Texas back in the 80s who sincerely loved the smell of a skunk. I could never figure it out. She liked it. And so, you think about that. If humility is the fragrance of a rose, then pride is the smell of a skunk. So how do you smell? When people are around your life and they sniff you, your behavior, your attitude, your demeanor, how you come across, what what spirit and motive there are in your words, and how you relate to people. Do you smell like a rose or do you smell like a skunk? Humility. What, what an amazing... The Bible says so much to us about this. And you're never, we're never beyond not needing to tweak or maybe major overhaul in our life in this area. And the more you know, the more of a danger it is. Because knowledge does what? It always does. That's what it does. It produces pride. Knowledge and truth is dangerous. With it will come conceit. You know why? Because we automatically equate knowledge of truth with wisdom. Right? We think we get this and we got wisdom. No. We think we get knowledge and we've got maturity. No. We think we get some knowledge and we've got godliness. No. You get a bunch of knowledge, all you've got is a big head. And Tozer said that's vanity if we don't have genuine humility soaking through it in our lives. Now, let me cut this down briefly. I just want you to think about the examples of humility. It's astounding. The last couple of times I've read through the Old Testament, it struck me in an amazing way that that every time someone, regardless of who they were, would humble themselves before God, God would respond to them in a huge way. Uh, the other side of the coin is when people wouldn't humble themselves and they hardened themselves, God often responded in a very tragic way adverse 
way of judgment. Think about this. Let's just think about some examples in the Old Testament. Manasseh, Second Chronicles 33. He was a king. He reigned in Judah. Started when he was 12. He reigned for 55 years. He began very bad. He ended great. How did he begin bad? Well, the Bible tells us he, he worked and produced profound evil throughout the nation. Under his rule, widespread evil and atrocities dominated the landscape. Witchcraft, sorcery, uh, fortune telling, the burning of children. He burned his own son in the fire. The burning of children on religious altars. And the Bible says that God, in the midst of that, this pagan, wicked man, the Bible says God spoke to him. And it specifically says, but he paid no attention. You know, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Some of you, very likely, sit here week in and week out, And in a message every once in a while, God will zero in on you and He'll speak to you and He'll deal with you and He'll prick your conscience. And before you get out the door, you're not paying Him any attention. It's a dangerous thing. Proverbs 29.1 says what? He who being often reproved and hardens his heart, what? Somebody finish it for me. Shall suddenly be cut off. And that without remedy. Well, the Bible says about Manasseh, God spoke to him, he paid no attention. So you know what happened? Here come the Assyrians as God's instruments of humbling him. They came, they captured him, they tortured him. And then it climaxes in chapter 33, verse 12 with this phrase, with this verse. Listen to what it says. Manasseh, when he was in distress, he cried out, he entreated the favor of God. And he humbled himself greatly before the Lord. And God was moved by his pleas for mercy. And God brought him again to his kingdom. One act of humility, God delivered him out of that situation. God responded to his humbling himself. Now don't ask me questions about does God change his mind and all that stuff. I'm not here to talk about that. That's a whole different deal. But I tell you what the Bible says all through, that God responds. He responds to repentance. He responds to humility. He will act in response to when grace works in a person's heart and they they will respond and they will choose. God will respond too. Everywhere in Scripture where you see a person, however wicked they were, when they humble themselves, God always worked for them. He would have mercy on them. He would move on their behalf. Often powerfully, sometimes even miraculously. Manasseh began as bad as a person could, but he ended well by humbling himself, choosing in the midst of his pride and his arrogance and his sin. He chose to humble himself, and he ended well. Ahab, 1 Kings 21. Remember what happened to him? Long story short, Elijah came. To Ahab, the Bible says about Ahab that there was none who sold himself to do evil in God's sight like Ahab. He was the worst of the whole lot. He wanted Naboth's vineyard, remember? Because it was right by his palace. Well, he wouldn't sell it to him. And uh, Ahab goes in. He's laying on his bed, sucking his thumb. Jezebel comes in. 
and says, what's wrong? Well, he won't give me his vineyard. She says, I'll get it. She has him killed. You know the story. He gets the vineyard. Here comes Elijah with blazing hot rebuke for his evil doings. And when Ahab heard Elijah's words, you know what it says he did? When he heard the word of God to him, the Bible says he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, he fasted, and he mourned. And God then said to Elijah, listen to this, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. That's astounding. One genuine choice of humility right now in some of our lives could change circumstances, relationships, situations. There's no telling what the Lord would do for a person in the midst of a difficulty if they would take the low road to humble themselves. What an amazing thing it is. It did for Hezekiah. Remember 2 Kings 20? Hezekiah, sick on his deathbed, Isaiah comes to him and says what? Set your house in order. You're going to die. You're not going to recover. The Bible says Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He prayed. He began to weep. He wept bitterly as a dying man. And before Isaiah was out of the courtyard, God says to Isaiah, you go back and tell him, I've heard his prayers. I've seen his tears. I'm going to heal him and add 15 years to his life. Because of humility. Listen, humility will help you. Pride will destroy you. Humility will bring blessing and mercy and great things. It will protect you and it will keep you. Uzziah, Second Chronicles 26. Think of this and I'm going to hurry. Unlike Manasseh, he begins great and ends bad. Now maybe this is a... This is Especially applicable to us. I'm sorry, Uzziah, Second Chronicles 26. He was 16 years old when he began to reign in Jerusalem. He reigned for 52 years. The Bible says of Uzziah, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Are any of us doing that? Well, we endeavor to, right? And that could be a testimony that people could say about you, or you, or many, that they endeavor to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. It says of him that he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, the prophet. In fact, Zechariah, the prophet, instructed Uzziah personally in the ways of God. And the Bible says of Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But it says, and then it says, his fame spread far because he was marvelously helped until... What? He grew strong. And when he grew strong, the Bible says, he became, now when he became strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. You know, it is a fearful and a shuddering thing to think that there could be some of you here that have heard the gospel all your life, but you very, you very well may end up in hell because of one thing. Pride. Is that something worth 
being separated from God forever, your stinking, ugly pride. The Bible says about Uzziah, when he became strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Here he was, the king, so you know what he decided to do? In his pride, he said, well, you know, I can not only rule, I can offer priestly offerings too. I'll do that. So he goes in the temple and he wants to offer the incense offering. What happens? Azariah and 80 priests withstand him and say, no, this isn't right for you to do. What would have happened right then if he had humbled himself? Probably good. Probably grace. Probably mercy. But he, you know he didn't. You know what he did? He got angry. The Bible says he got angry. And then it says that suddenly leprosy broke out on his forehead. And the Bible says they rushed him out because God had struck him. And he lived and he died a leper in a separate house. And it was said when he died, he was a leper. It didn't say that he sought God or that he had great grace or that he once feared God or that he once greatly prospered in the ways of God and he lived for the Lord. His legacy at the end of his life, he was remembered as a leper all because of pride. The Lord loves humility. He responds to it. He delights in it. He greatly blesses it. But you know, pride for all of us is always lurking in every nook and cranny. It always wants to get us. It's the first sin to surface and it's the last one and the hardest one to die. It's always there. And it wants to get us about everything. How we look. How we impress people. How much Bible knowledge do others think we have. Uh, what In every realm of our existence, pride wants to get us. It's always crouching in our door to snare us. And think about it. It got Cain and he killed his brother. It got Peter and he denied the Lord. Not once, but um, think about it. He denied two times in a row. The Lord told him he was going to deny him and then Peter denied that he would deny him and then he denied him. All because of pride. It got Paul and Barnabas and they were divided. In 3 John 9, John gives a warning. He says, Diotrephes likes to have the preeminence. Literally, he likes to put himself first. Pride. Pride. So whenever we read a scripture anywhere about humility or pride, we can never say, well, I got that one down. There was a man, an evangelical Christian leader, widely known 20 years ago. The leading Christian magazine in the country interviewed him. All kinds of questions. And one of the questions was, he was asked, if Satan wanted to trip you up and put you out of the ministry, in what area would he attack you? And the man thought and he said, well, I don't know, but I do know what area it wouldn't be. It would be in the moral, moral area. I don't think he could get me because I've done my homework too much there. I've taught seminars on it. I've written books on it. 
I don't think he could get me in that area. And within, within a year, the man fell into adultery with his secretary because of pride. Pride is so blinding, we, we, don't, we can't even see where it affects our lives and where, where we're being robbed of God's grace in areas. I love the picture in Psalm 131. And I wonder if it describes us. David, it's short, but it's so wonderful. David says, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. And my eyes are not lifted too high. And this is the one that always gets me. I do not occupy myself with things too great for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Humility. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 27 too, let another praise you and not yourself. I don't know if they have them up here, but in Texas you can drive around any town and you see these bumper stickers. My child is an A student at Einstein Middle School. And I think if I see another one, I'm going to be tempted to follow them to their house and at three in the morning slit their tires or at least pull the stupid bumper sticker off. Those things say, they, those show nothing but just arrogance. It's pride. When others brag on you, that's the fragrance of Christ. But when one hints at and, and drops uh, words subtly with motives of wanting to gain praise, it always smells like a skunk. You know, if you hadn't used deodorant, you may not notice it. Because your own body odor doesn't bother you, but guess what? <laughs> That's the way pride is. You don't notice it about yourself, but if you're proud and you're around others, it just it's there. And it's it's distasteful. It's it's odious. Nobody likes to be around it. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? After God humbled him. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the big shot of all big shots. And the Lord did something very unusual. He made him go mentally insane. And he, he ended up in the fields like a bull ox grazing. His nails grown out like, like eagle's claws. His hair was long like an animal's mane. And he was just out there for, for a while. And when he came to himself, here's what he said. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Mark it down. Christian or anybody. Anybody who doesn't deal with pride who doesn't make being the virtue and the grace of humility being predominant in their lives, where they walk in humility, God is able to humble them. And He will. He will humble them. The Bible says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
It says He gives grace to who? The humble. But He resists the proud. He resists the proud. Psalm 31.23 says this, The Lord abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Psalm 25, The meek, the humble, will He guide in judgment. And the meek will He show His way. And it's astounding when you read Paul's life. He says things that, that you just wouldn't think of saying, and he said it because it was meant to be in Scripture. When he was saying goodbye to the Ephesians in Acts 20, he said, you know how, you know how I've lived among you with all humility and tears and trials. With all humility, he lived among them. And just remember this. Well, let me just let me just mention a couple of things for application, and I want to I want to cut this short. If if we are to humble ourselves, if we're to walk this way, if we're to live this way, it's got to be in marriages, it's got to be in friendships, it's got to be in a church. So, how do we do it? How do we humble ourselves? How do we live that way? Well, we just have to have some realities in our heart. Things like this. <coughs> we ought to have an attitude and continually remind ourselves and acknowledge that we're not always right. Even when we're certain that we're right. To have an attitude, you know, I might be wrong. You know, my wife says this and I don't see it that way, but you know, she might be right. So am I going to stiffen up? Or am I going to open up? You know, if one, of, if, if one of the elders comes to me to share something, am I going to stiffen up and let pride blind me? Or am I going to be open? Am I going to humble myself and have a teachable heart? It's difficult to do, isn't it? But you know what? Every one of us ought to be able to say this. But sometimes, if we would admit this to ourselves and repeat these words to ourselves, it's like suddenly our tongue will get thick and there's cotton in our mouth and we can't even get it out. Words like, you know, I don't know everything. In fact, it might be true, compared to what there is to know, it might be true and wise for me to say, you know, I really don't know much. In fact, I probably don't know all I think I know. And I know that I'm not living up to half of what I do know. Having a realistic view about ourselves and to realize that we ought not to think more highly of, our, of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think soberly and realistically. How do we humble ourselves? Well, another way is to not take into account wrong suffered. When we look at each other and take offense and get offended at what somebody said, or maybe just the way they said it, or what they didn't say when we think they should have said it, or what they didn't do when we thought they should have done it, and we take offense, 
and we take into account wrongs suffered, there's nothing that does that except pride in our hearts. There's no excuse for it. There's no justification for it. There's 1 Corinthians 13 says that love doesn't keep records. It just doesn't. So we ought to humble ourselves and cancel those debts uh, that our hearts could be free. Another way that we can continually humble ourselves is, is to recognize that the Scriptures tell us that only by pride comes what? Contention. When there's contention in a marriage, when there's contention and conflict in a relationship, in a family, in a church, it's not because of personal preferences or differing opinions or varying views. It's stinking, rotten pride that's at the root of it. Only by pride comes contention. Only by pride. And if we would humble ourselves and realize that to be a lot less contention. Just think about, in closing, let's, let's just think about the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2.8 says this, He being found in fashion as a man, in the form of a man, humbled Himself by becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And it wasn't that He just humbled Himself as He was approaching the cross. He humbled Himself to come down here and become one of us. And every day He lived a life of the reality of humility. And He's our model. And we must look at and learn daily from Him about this reality of humility. Just think about it. You come to John 13 and you start reading and you see 12 disciples, one of whom is soon going to go out and betray Him. And the Lord Jesus takes a towel and water and He gets down and He washes 24 stinking, dirty feet. And He comes to Judas, these feet that are fixing to walk out and take Him to the Jewish leaders. These feet that are going to take that man to betray the Lord. These feet that are going to stand there and step forward to take the 30 pieces of silver. The Lord Jesus washed those feet. You wouldn't do it if you knew somebody was fixing to stab you in the back. I doubt it. What an example He is. The, the Son of Man, He said, came not to serve. He came not to be served, but to what? To serve. How low was our Savior brought? How low was He brought? Then how, how can we ever Let pride control us in any way. How can we ever give in to pride and think we're something if, if He didn't? If we are not humbled in the presence of the Lord Jesus, something's bad wrong. If you've never been really humbled in His presence, then you don't know Him. Because pride... Where pride lives and reigns, He doesn't reign. Pride cannot live and reign where the Lord Jesus 
Christ reigns. So the scripture tells us just these wonderful admonitions we ought to live with. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He'll lift you up. What, what a promise that is. That if we in any situation daily, if we'll just humble ourselves before Him, nobody has to know it. Just get low before Him and just acknowledge your nothingness before Him. And, and He promises He will lift up he will, he will revive the life and heart and walk of those who walk lowly before Him and who, who are meek and have a contrite spirit. What does Micah 6 8 say? Remember that? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. What three things? To do justly. What's the second one? To love mercy. What's the third one? To walk humbly with your God. That's all we have to do between here and heaven. Just walk humbly with Christ. Just walk humbly with God. Just walk humbly with each other. We don't have anything to prove. An audience of one, the song says. The, the blessedness, the blessedness of walking humbly with our God. So do you do we want our life to be fragrant or do we want it to sting? And what do we want our legacy at the end to be, which will be here soon for all of us? We want a legacy that says they remember you and they say, you know, they really they really had the leprosy of pride all over them. Or do you, do you want a legacy that says, you know, they may not have been known outside of Kirksville or Denton, but I'll tell you what was true about them. They did right. And they loved mercy. And they walked humbly with God. May God give us grace just to take these admonitions. The ever-constant need for humility is there for all of us. And, and God calls us to it, and he, and he will give us a lot of grace to humble ourselves. But you see, He hadn't told us to wait on Him or to ask Him to humble us. He's told us, humble yourself. Tonight, in whatever relationship, whatever situation you have, how or where do you need to humble yourself? Do it. It hurts so good. It's kind of like going to the dentist to get that tooth pulled. Nobody likes to go there. But boy, you sure like the results when it's over. Your pain's gone. You're free. Humility will bring great freedom and blessing. And there's no telling what God would do for you in a difficult circumstance or relationship if you will choose to humble yourself. Don't give in to pride. Humble yourself. Let us humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, meaning in His presence. And He will lift us up. What a glorious transaction that is. Humility. How we need it. Well, let's pray. Father,
Thank you, Lord, for what the Scriptures just clearly say about this. We do ask you, Lord, to have mercy on us. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see what we need to see about ourselves tonight. Let us see, Lord, what we're blind to about our ways, about our motives, our attitudes, how we relate to others, how we are with our our wife, our husband, our parents, our children, each other. Oh Lord, if we could just walk in walking in humility toward each other, what a difference it would make so often. Would you help us? Give us grace to do this. Lord, we want your mercy. We don't want your opposition. But we want grace, we want mercy, we want freshness. We so much need to walk in this manner. So help us, we pray. Do do something, I ask, Lord, tonight for each of us in relation to what Peter says here. And I ask You, Father, in spite of me and my inadequacy to make what You have said tonight count in every heart and in this dear church. Thank You, our Father, so much. Work in our hearts for Your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Amen. These are amazing words. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Marvelously helped when you're weak and then get strong and mess up act corruptly and be unfaithful. And all because of pride. Well, I don't have any doubt that this is what the Lord had for us tonight. It seems like this uh, promise, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, has come up two or three times in the past couple of weeks and been brought to our attention. And uh, it's quoted in James and also in Peter. But this is this is amazing when you think about this. That uh, how can I have more grace? How can I experience more grace? Humble yourself. God re- God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And every time you see somebody that's broken and lowly and humble before God, He's getting help. Always that way. So what a wonderful word and.
Thank you so much. Sorry for cutting into your time. We uh, we take this messages from the Lord. Anyone else have anything to share or say on this, or a thought in relation to it? How does Paul say that? If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he doesn't know anything the way he ought to know. <clears throat> May the Lord help us to take this to heart and we will be dismissed.